What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sports Kingdom Show. I am your host, Eric, the Duke of Sports Sklar. I am joined by my co-host, the one and only Mr. 360, Tyler Pacholke, and, of course, co-host, producer extraordinaire, Jacob Gonzalez. Before we start the show, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you decide to listen to the Sports Kingdom Show so you can stay up to date on the newest episodes of the show. Don't forget to follow at TSK Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow all of us as well at The Duke of Sports, at Tyler Pacholke, and at Jacob Double underscore Gonzalez. On this episode of The TSK Show, Jacob and I are in studio, and Tyler will be joining us on the phone as we continue to live in this social distancing era with the coronavirus still impacting communities throughout the world. Tonight we'll talk about the upcoming NFL draft that is set to take place tomorrow night. We'll also recap episodes one and two of The Last Dance and discuss Jalen Green's decision to forego college and sign a contract with the NBA G League. To close the show, we'll conclude our five-part series, ranking the top 10 players at each position in the NBA currently by ranking the top 10 primary ball-handling playmakers in the NBA right now. All right, let's start the show. What's going on, Jacob? How you doing, man? I'm going to tell you, I'm getting really bored. Really bored? That, yeah. And I'm coming into work every day. Well, yes. except for one day, and I'm still getting really bored. Well, at least you get to get out of the house a little bit. That is true, but I'm still bored. Yeah. No, I've I ran out of things to watch here and there. Uh, I've ran out of things to cook. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's starting to take its toll for sure. Can only do so much laundry. Well, yeah, no, definitely. Tyler, how you doing, man? I'm kind of the same boat. I mean, I definitely think the boredom's starting to take a toll, but it hasn't been that, it hasn't been that bad. I've been able to stay busy, I feel like. Yeah. No, I think just trying to trying to enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, I think you can you can only play so many video games, watch so many shows, and it it yeah, starts to get repetitive. Sure. But no, nah, we're I think we're all making the most of it. But um, so yeah, so we typically have a quarantine style question. Um, and I have a question for you guys. Okay. Uh, basically, uh, the parameters are: if you had the power to see one live event during quarantine from any any league, any sporting event from any league right now, Duke, North Carolina, you know, Seahawks, Patriots, whatever, whatever matchup you'd want to see, you got one event. So ba- would it be? basically, if we could have live sports right now, what's the one game we would want to see first? Yep, if, the, if, the, if during quarantine you got to pick one live, live event to watch, what would it be? All right, Jacob, I'll let you answer first. Oh, easy Lakers Clippers again because I I want to see the fourth re- uh, the fourth installment right because they played three times this year yeah yeah, yeah they played and three then, times and, and the Clippers won two so I want I would want to see game four of that yeah because the fourth game well the third game technically was postponed because of Kobe's death exactly yeah and then that game ended up not happening at all at all because the season got suspended. Yeah, so I'd want to see uh, yeah, that the was fourth like the matchup. First one, huh? Yeah. 
Okay, Lakers Clippers. For me, it would actually be Lakers Celtics in a finals game. No, just Lakers oh, Celtics. Just a just, regular game. Just for, well, I mean, a finals game would be nice, but just for the parameters yeah, of this question, you. It's funny you didn't say like yeah. Bucks. No, because I, I I'm all about nostalgia right now. I want I want I want the the Lakers Celtics. I want the rivalry. So okay, that was so that's fair you, enough. If, you, if right off the top, I know you can't have it prepared, but. Off the top, if there was a non-basketball matchup, what would it be? Oh, Dodgers-Giants. Oh, yeah, that's another easy one. Or Actually, no, I take that back. Dodgers-Astros. Or, <laughs> or, that's well, a good one. Or that's a Red good Sox. Dodgers-Astros? Yeah, or Red Sox. I like Dodgers-Astros. Because they just got in trouble. Yeah, the, the Red Sox punishment came out today, and they got a slap on the wrist. Yeah. Oh, man, the Astros. Uh, that, that one's good. Um, yeah, so Dodgers-Astros, non-basketball. I got a good one now. What just is popped it? Up and I felt like it was a gut reaction. I'm going with it, just because I have this this power. I'm I'm gonna. I want to see Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor three. Oh, the okay. Fight. Oh, so he went uh, uh, MMA. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I like uh, that. I went. I went MMA. I wasn't when I asked you guys the question initially. That's not where I was going. But I was like, you know what? If I got the power to see one sporting event. I want to see, just because this might not ever happen. I want to see the Diaz McGregor trilogy fight. That would be awesome. Yeah, I was pretty stoked at my decision. What was your original one though? Um, no, I mean like I mean I asked you know like right before we started, um, like when I thought of the question, when I thought of the question I was gonna. That was like the first thing that popped into my head. I didn't really ever. I would say North Carolina Duke would be like. The other one that'd be way up there for me. Okay. And then, and then like Seahawks Bucks just to see Tom Brady. Yeah, that would be a fun matchup, Russell Wilson against Tom yeah. Brady. But yeah, I mean, I think honestly, like an Astros game, you know, Dodgers, you know, is just as good as anybody. Just to see the Astros right now would be hilarious. Yeah, no, I, I would I love think... to. Just, I would just love to rain, rain, like see the rain of hate come down on those guys. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I think that would be a at the top of a lot of sports fans lists right now. Well, at least LA sports fans. Yeah. But all right, you you mentioned the Bucks just now and some big big news coming out of Tampa Bay right before the draft. Rob Gronkowski has come out of retirement. He's orchestrated a trade between the New England Patriots and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where New England receives a fourth-round pick in the NFL draft that is taking place tomorrow, Thursday, April 23rd. And then the Buccaneers receive Rob Gronkowski and a seventh-round pick from the New England Patriots. This move obviously reunites Tom Brady with one of his favorite targets of all time. I want to know, plain and simple, what can we expect from Rob Gronkowski after taking a year off? Um. Oh, man, I'm just so excited. I can barely talk. <laughs> uh, this is just the greatest thing ever. Um, but what to expect is going to be interesting for me, uh, because, like from a football standpoint, just because Bruce Arians traditionally hasn't been like – now he has been – he did – he does have O.J. Howard the last couple of years, but traditionally he has a role at tight ends. Like he didn't really have – um, a tight end when he like his time in Arizona, um, so it's just it's kind of weird uh, that they're going with like a two tight end set. So it's interesting to see how that 
you know, how Bruce Arians, like, calls his plays. I assume that he's going to call them similar to McDaniels and have these guys running, you know, down the middle and getting, you know, the underneath wide open for, like, Godwin and Evans. Well, what's inter- interesting uh, about that, about you saying Arians is going to call the offense similar to McDaniels, I was listening to Pat McAfee's podcast, and he had um, – Tampa Bay's offensive coordinator, his name is slipping my mind, but they had worked together, I guess, previously in Indianapolis. So they have a prior relationship, Pat McAfee and the offensive coordinator down in Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay was saying that the offensive coordinator was saying in their pitch to Tom Brady, in Tampa Bay's pitch to Tom Brady, they basically said that it's going to be easier to teach one person Tampa Bay's offense than teach 52 other guys what Tom Brady is used to. So Tampa Bay is really going to stick with Bruce Arians' offense initial, like, well, yeah, I mean, BA is a stud. So yeah. I think Bruce Arians was for sure a part. I mean, Bruce Arians pushes the ball, you know, like the, those, those Cardinal teams were good downfield. And so, uh, well, and the, down, the downfield weapons, decision. the downfield weapons that Tampa Bay has now are, are, are really conducive to Arians' offense. Yeah, I'm just, I just meant like from a football standpoint, it's hard to know what we're going to get because, A, I just haven't seen it from Arians before. So he's going to be creative enough to make it happen. And then the other thing is like, you know, Gronk's body, does he split out more, which is like good for him receiving wise? Does he become more of a receiving tight end? Because really, he was a threat down the field, but he was like an outstanding run blocker. And so it'll be interesting to see if, like, now that he's lost all this weight, is he going to go back to being kind of a bruiser tight end that's closer to the, the tackle box? Or are they going to split him out? Because he's probably he's going to be nice and fresh. I'm excited to see. So it's like if he's, like, split out wide, nice and fresh, and Bruce Arians is, like, dialed in, you can expect, like, a big year from him statistically, uh, you know, maybe a top five year statistically. Uh, but you could also, you know, if Bruce Arians struggles to figure out what to do with them and he kind of goes back to being more of a blocker, the stats may not be like as good as people remember. It's funny that you mentioned his health though, because that was always a concern uh, in the last few years of his career before he retired. And now that he's going to come back, yeah, you still get the seasoned vet, but, and he's, he's paired up with Brady again, but how is that going to fare though? Because you don't know of his health right now. Yeah, no, and, 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 and if he can that, stay healthy, that's the issue because he's not obviously in his prime. But again, you're still getting a guy who's played with Brady, and you've seen what they've done together. But I think the big question is his health moving forward because Brady he stays relatively healthy, but Gronk in the last few years of his career he's been banged up a little bit. And now you mentioned that he's lost the weight, so does that affect does that affect some of his aspects of his game that he had before? Well, I think that definitely. I think that him taking the year off helps him to, by, re, to recover uh, yeah to recover yeah 100 percent. and i think him losing weight it speaks to what tyler was talking about is tampa bay has to make the decision on do they use gronk how the patriots use gronk as more of a run blocking tight end who can catch a downfield pass because of his size and and body type and he can really just jump over anybody and grab it grab it up top and catch the ball over anybody really or does Tampa Bay use Gronk as more of just a receiving threat now that he has slimmed down and they don't really use him in the run game 
See, I like the move. Exactly. I'm just exactly. I'm just interested in what it's what what it's going to become as far as what what do they use him as? You know, what are his strengths yeah. right now? Because we we know what Gronk is and was with the Patriots, but we don't know what he's going to be with the Bucks. It's still a really interesting pickup for them because now you're pairing them back up again. And then you throw in the wrench of the NFL is not going to have a normal offseason program this year. The no. Saints the Saints already scrapped their entire offseason spring program. So because because of coronavirus. So it's going to be interesting to see how the timing helps them, I think. You think it helps yeah, Tampa Bay? I, no, I think it helps Gronk. Like that that's like only gonna help, you know, if, if Brady gets a limited time with his teammates, he's got you know, that's gonna give Gronk the leg up on other players because he's already gonna be dialed in with Brady. Right, because of the history because they have. Yeah, I'm excited to see it, man. Like, I think it's gonna, you know, like we all said, it's gonna just depend on how how they decide to use them. And it's pretty tough to just. I think right now it's tough to you know, uh, predict how they're gonna use them, just because of, you know, the the players that are on the team and all this, and the play style. But uh, it's it's gonna be awesome no matter what. And it tells me that I think Gronk always had this in mind. Yeah. He was just he was just done with New England, yeah, and he was unhealthy. Yeah, would you say he was done with Belichick's system? Because I've heard rumors about that that he was kind of done with the system and he wanted to play elsewhere. But obviously, he retired. Well, and you also just no, I, no, I, I don't think that anything to do with the system. I think it had to do with Belichick shopping Gronk for trades. And I, I mean, also, if you really think about it, it comes down to Gronk's personality and Belichick's personality. They don't mesh. Oh, absolutely not. But but they do in the sense that they're they're football guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think at the end that, of the I day. That, I don't I think that Gronk loves being a Patriot. I think that the year like the his before the his last season, when he tried to trade him to Detroit, you know, yeah. I think that, and and he had to threat retirement. I think right then and there Gronk like knew he was done long term with Belichick. I think it was just like a one-time personal thing where all trust was lost, and and like he could have been playing in Detroit. And well, but so, that's a, see, but if you're putting it like that, I put that on Gronk because Gronk's got to realize Belichick's done that with every single player on the Patriots roster yeah, since he's been there. It's it's a business. Your your name's going to get shopped around in trade rumors. That, that doesn't doesn't matter. Gronk is like it, there's there he's like a top five. Belichick player ever I mean he's one of the special Hall of Fame talents that Belichick had it's not like shopping uh you know just someone that's been with the team a couple years or you know a veteran an average veteran uh this is like your big time franchise cornerstone if we're going to shop them I think there's at least got to be some sort of communication and there must have been something that rubbed Gronk the wrong way because I think for sure he decided I'm going to retire because I don't want to play for Belichick, but also, you know, want to play for Super Bowls. And now that Brady's on a new team, he's, he's can go and play with Brady. Well, it came out, it came out earlier today that Gronk had, I guess, said something to Brady about two months ago about coming back. So, which even, even before they got Gronk, the Bucks were already an interesting team. But it's well, like, once, yeah, yeah, once they got yeah, Brady, you know, obviously, once you get Brady there, you're already interesting. But now that you get Gronk, well, now you're just that more interested to see how it's going to pan out. 
Well, and then there's there is a quote of him saying he's like I don't want to catch like the Detroit thing. You know, he forced the he said I'm going to retire, or you know, or I'm going to play catch touchdowns with Tom Brady. And so I think when Brady, when the rumor mill started with Brady leaving, that's when it became a serious option for Gronk to be like, you know what, if Brady's leaving, then I can still catch touchdowns from Brady and not play for Belichick. Yeah. All right. I have one more question for you guys before we move on to the actual draft. Uh, this, this question is regarding the Gronk trade to Tampa Bay. Uh, founder of Barstool Sports and noted Patriots superfan Dave Portnoy, he posed this question that I'm going to ask you guys, and he's clearly throwing shade at the Patriots and Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady because he's salty about them leaving New England and all of that. But he raises, I think, a legitimate question, and the question is this. Which team had more offseason hype, last year's Browns or this year's uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Oh, the Browns, hands down. Well, here, here's what I I'm, I'm sticking have with written that. down. Listen. Okay. The Browns as an organization, not best known for success on the field or how they conduct business, among other things, had all this hype, adding high-powered, high-level talent, but then obviously they underdelivered. The Buccaneers, on the other hand, haven't made the playoffs since 2007, been basically at the bottom of the league since then, been through so much dysfunction, multiple coaching and quarterback changes, now has all this high-powered, high-level talent, can they live up to the expectations that are being set by a lot of people inside and outside of the organization now that Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski have arrived? So which team has more hype, last year's Browns or this year's Tampa Bay Buccaneers? No, I'm still going with the Browns I'm last gonna, year. I'm going to go with Jacob on this one. Yeah. I think when it comes from the, the – if we're going to dissect the question as is and the word we're using is hype, I think that the Browns were hyped up. I mean, big time hype. I think that the Bucks are exciting, but it's just it's not like the same energy. You know what I mean? It's like it's more because Brady. I wouldn't say it's not the same energy. People are still putting Tampa Bay already in the Super Bowl. See, I wouldn't go that far, but I would I would put them maybe in the playoffs now because you have Brady. See, what what Tyler's saying is 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 correct is as far as that you get the feel. It's the feels a little bit different that the hype's not there, but it's more of an intriguing thing that. I wonder what this team's going to do. How it's far more are they going to go? Exactly, than yeah, than hype. The Browns was all hype. People were talking Super Bowl after not winning, it, like, you know, a game or whatever, two games. But so, like, when it comes to hype, I just think that the hype was so big on the Browns. Like, so many people were jumping to conclusions so quick, and it was so new. And with this, I think Brady, you get half the people are just like, fuck Brady, we hate Brady, he's 43, he's done. And the other half were just like Brady is the Messiah. He is like, yeah, you he know, can do no wrong. He's the goat. He's the goat. They're going to be in the Super Bowl. There's basically like two views on this guy. So I think that that's why the hype. It's just that Browns team last year was a hype machine. Like, like not too many I've seen as far as just like a hype just for no reason at all. Yeah, and honestly, not, it, not for no, not for no reason, but. Not justified at all. And obviously, it's like you can put more trust as far as if you want to go by the word hype into a seasoned vet in Brady going to a somewhat dysfunctional team rather than a team that has really been awful for years. Right. I put a lot more stock in a team led by Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, and Rob Gronkowski than I do last year's Browns. 
Yeah, even if they get eliminated in the first round of the playoffs, they're still going to be more successful than what the Browns were last year with all the hype that they had. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Browns, man. Like that <laughs> last, last, last year, they were just like the, you know, the SoundCloud rapper of the week, the supreme. <laughs> the yeah, supreme that's, that's exactly drop. what they were. The hype beast. The, they were, that was what they were. You know, that's just like the perfect word to describe it, so. Yeah, I gotta go. Gotta go, Jacob. On this one, Browns by by a long shot. But no, I thought I thought it was a legitimate question. But I obviously no, I know it was. Dave. It was. I mean, Brady Brady is big time hype. But this was like, if you know, this would be like if Brady joined the Cowboys. Yeah, Port, you know, Portnoy was just trying to throw shade at Brady and yeah, he's just mad overall because he doesn't have his two weapons anymore on his team. Oh yeah, yeah so it's come so down I did to have it. Have noticed. I did have noted uh, while we're talking about the Patriots, like I don't want to forget this point. I do think that the Patriots did a great job in all this. Dude, they got a fourth-round draft pick for him. That's great. He hasn't played in a year. They they got a fourth-round draft pick for a guy that was on the couch. So they turned – so forgetting – just because Brady went to another team, they got like a bonus, like a little like sidekicker bonus to upgrade their seventh pick to a fourth-round pick. Now, I don't know what the percentage is, but I know, like, seventh-round picks, a large percentage of them don't make the team. And I think fourth-round picks, like, Belichick is a great mid-round drafter. And so it's just like they're going to get probably a guy that's going to make the team versus a guy that wasn't going to make the team, all because Gronk wants to play with Brady. Right. Yeah, so I thought I thought that, like, the Patriots got a sneaky um, a sneaky victory in all this. Yeah, definitely. I I Listen, they got rid of a guy who hasn't played in a year and they got a second day draft pick out of it. And, and to their defense, yeah, I, I mean, you don't know what he's, what he's going to do when he comes back. Yeah. I think that those, yeah, exactly. It's not like it's, it's just because, so for the pure reason that Gronk decided he wants to play with Brady again, the Patriots got this upgrade, you know what I mean? For no risk at all. Just a just an automatic upgrade, and I really do believe that like, you know, really good franchises are made between the the like second third round to the fifth round. Definitely. Yeah, that's when like really good franchises are made. Yeah, but speaking well, speaking of the draft, let's uh let's move on now to to previewing tomorrow night uh, in the first round of the draft. We had heard of some tech issues during some of the mock drafts that the NFL was putting on for teams to try to prepare prepare for what will be the first virtual draft in NFL history. All 32 teams are going to be like in their designated homes or wherever where there's a certain amount of people. Which which they had a mock draft the other day, didn't they? Right, and there were were some tech issues with that. Which I hope there's not any tomorrow. (laughs) Well, so that's my question. What do you think we can expect from this virtual draft that's never happened before? Well, it's like you just said with the mock draft, there's probably going to be some more tech issues as well. And that tech issue... There's going to be... There's going to be one tech issue for sure. I got to say. Well, and the tech issue that happened in this mock draft that happened on Monday, it happened with the first pick in the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's like, did they did in the mock draft? Did they not end up picking Joe Burrow? Was that the tech issue? Like, what what happened? See, it's going to be tough because it's not obviously like you're physically there at the draft. So there is going to be that issue as well. That's the major issue. But then 
as far as executing it all online and virtual, that's another you know huge problem because well, now think, you have little small stuff that can uh, be an issue. I think there is a huge. I think there is a human relay. I think that it is like the teams have a live feed with like the NFL, right? And so the teams live feed the decision, and then the NFL there's the like human interaction where the human takes it from that live feed to another. Well, I know that, I know that each, um, like each war room has three land, like three phones that are connected. Like one's connected directly to the NFL. One's connected to all 31 other teams. And then there's one other, I I think like backup line that everybody's connected to. But ideally how many people are going to be allowed in one room though? You know what I mean? Like, well, I think it's no more than 10 according to the government. Yeah. Yeah. According to the government. Yeah. It's no more than 10, but you know, how many people do you get in there? Like who is allowed in there? It'll be select guys. It'll it'll be GM owner, like high level, like couple high level scouts. The coach. The coach. Yeah, the head coach. But now here's here's another question in terms of how many people are in the room. When ESPN's cameras go to whatever living room of whatever draftee, yeah, they better be ready. Well, they better be ready. And how many people do they have over at their house? Yeah, because if it goes to their because if it goes to their feed. Yeah, because yeah. if it goes to their feet and they have their whole family there or whatever and there's more than 10? Well, if there's more than 10, I'm pretty sure that ESPN is not going to go to that house ever again. And they're just going to keep going to players that have less than the allotted amount of people in their homes. And they just I aren't going to get as much TV time. I got to assume that the NCAA has it set up to where it's like the play, the shots that they have are going to be at the player by themselves. Like, in some sort of like home setup interview, you know? Yeah. Where they're just like like tarped off for the first round for the first rounders, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, and then also I don't think that there's going to be any tech issues when it comes to like the relays of information. I think that the issue is going to be just like video feed pausing and cutting out and lagging, you know? Well, what happens if that happens when a team is on the clock and the clock hits zero and they couldn't get their pick in? Well, I think I think that they'll be like yeah, see, that's they'll another be issue. Landline. They'll no because I I just don't think that that's going to be an issue. Like I think that they'll have like a landline or some sort of hard, hard you know so, like technology to get to relay the picks in. Yeah, I think the the like you know it's not going to be like oh no like we didn't get to put Joe Burrow in and now the number two team like snag them. I think they'll they'll be like a hard line of communication, whether it be phone you know phone or whatever it is um i don't think that'll be an issue i think the issue is going to be just like streaming issues okay now in terms of players i've heard a lot of people say some unknown players are likely to get picked this year a lot earlier than if the draft was taking place under normal circumstances or just players that would normally go in like the sixth or seventh round or might even not get drafted at all they might get taken in like the fourth or fifth round because teams are so set on what they've seen in film provided to them because that's all they have to go off of this year because they couldn't yeah, do no combine. Yeah, they well they had the combine. They just couldn't do a lot of pro days. Can't uh, do individual workouts either. Couldn't do individual workouts. So do you think teams will be more cautious with their picks this draft as compared to previous drafts? Yeah, probably when it's like compared to you know, when you're gonna compare them to other drafts, I think you're definitely going to be a little more conservative, but also, man, it, it might work out, dude. Just like going off the film more 
and more of what you see rather than like an individual workout. But I also know how much value those individual workouts are just to see a person's kind of drive and work ethic. Yeah. But I think, it, I think it's going to be interesting because I do think a lot of players that wouldn't normally get an opportunity because they might have a bad day when they're at their individual workout in person with a team or at their pro day, they just have an off workout or whatever. And the film does compensate for that. I do think some players are going to get a chance that they might not normally have gotten under normal circumstances this year, especially out of the smaller schools too, though. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just like one less step for you to like lose stock. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so it's just like the more events they cancel for these small school kids, the you know better advantage it is if they like them because there's less proof for it to show that they can't hang. Yeah. So now I just I had only a few names written down of who uh, I wanted to kind of talk about, just because I mean the NFL draft it's it's seven rounds. There's two hundred and seventy plus some odd picks. Oh, yeah, we could spend all day talking uh, about it. We could multiple days. We could spend ten weeks previewing the NFL draft. But um, I kind of wanted to just condense it to some of the big names. But so where where do you think Tua will end up, Tyler? It's it's interesting because L A the L A Chargers need a quarterback there at six. Does he last until six? I know the Chargers might trade up to three. I don't believe he lasts to six. I don't believe he lasts past the Dolphins. Well, the Dolphins now are trying to trade up to get an offensive tackle. Yeah, see, it's just, and the Dolphins, I think, should. I think that they should, I think that they should try to give Rose a a realistic shot. Yeah, so Um, do I. uh, But, yeah, I don't see him lasting to six, man. I just feel like he's a guy that's got to, and he's just got to go off the board quick. He's going to be the best quarterback for this group for sure. Yeah, and I forgot to mention, I think it's pretty much a consensus. We all think Joe Burrow's going to Cincinnati at one. Yeah, just because I think that that's what they're kind of forced to do. Yeah. But Joe Burrow, man, proceed with caution, dude. That's a. That's just like, uh, it's, I mean, he just doesn't seem as like accomplished of a guy. Is Tua now? I know that the injury is like a big. He's not as accomplished as Tua. He just went undefeated, won the national championship, and threw sixty touchdowns. What do you mean he's not as accomplished as Tua? Well, I'm just saying what that's one time Tua Tua stepped up as a true freshman and did all that. And then he had a a hip injury that was pretty much as similar as to Bo Jackson. So that's why I understand that Burrow's going to go number one, but I don't think Burrow. I mean. I don't even know if Burrow is a top two or three quarterback in this draft at the end of the day. You think Justin Herbert's better? I do. So where do you think Justin Herbert goes? And, you know, the other kid that I think is better is, 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 now this is just because I think football players of this kind of nature are on the upside is Jalen Hurts. Well, that's the other name. I I literally had Tua, Justin Herbert, and Jalen Hurts written down as the guys I wanted to talk about. I mean, Jordan Love is like the other one. I think there's five good quarterbacks, possibly five first rounders if Jalen Hurts, you know, goes in the first round, but it's going to be, it's a good quarterback class. But I do, I do think that Burrow people are kind of lost in the moment. And I don't know if he's got it. Like, 
Tua's got it. And Herbert's kind of just a prototype. And Jalen Hurts is like, is he Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson? You know, I, you know, he Kyler Murray type of scenario. Yeah, I mean, because th- that kid's a leader. I think that kid's a leader, and I think he's a winner, and I think he's a football player. So I think if you put a Jalen Hurts with a bunch of pros out there, um, especially if he goes in the late first round to a better team, you know, he could be, he could be dangerous. Yeah, everything I've seen about Jalen Hurts, I think he's probably going to go in the second round. But if I were to rank the quarterbacks in this um, class, I would probably go Burrow, Herbert, Tua, Hertz, and then Jalen or Jordan Love. Yeah, Jordan Love is the guy that's like a wild card. He could be the best. He could be freaking Aaron Rodgers. I don't know, but uh, I just don't know anything about him, so he's kind of tough to judge. Like these other guys are just like you know they've come from the dynasty schools: LSU, Bama, Oregon. Oklahoma. You know, Oklahoma, you know, it's like pretty crazy programs where this kid's just kind of unknown. Do you think uh, Washington will trade the number two overall pick and Chase Young will go somewhere else? I saw some talks or some rumors that Washington might trade the number two overall pick and move down in the first round. I, th- I think a top five team definitely moves out just because there's like, if you're not a quarterback, if you're not looking for a quarterback, it's like there's two, maybe three guys. And if that, if two, if those two or three guys aren't what you're looking for, you can get serious value for that linebacker Simmons, uh, the edge rusher Chase Young, and that cornerback who his his name is escaping me right now. But uh, if you don't want one of those guys and you're in the top five and you don't want a quarterback, then you're gonna trade back. Because you're going to get a lot of uh, you're going to get a lot of picks for those guys. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm lo- I'm looking at the the order right now, and it's one Cincinnati, two Washington, three Detroit, four New York Giants, five Miami Dolphins, six Chargers, seven Panthers, eight Cardinals, nine Jaguars, ten Browns. That's the top ten. Um, yeah, and so it's like you know, do, does does Detroit try to win? you know, win now, or are they going to try and prepare for the future with the quarterback? Miami, do they want a quarterback? Is You know, I think it's pretty obvious that Washington's going to go with who they got, and they're not going to take a quarterback. So it's it'll be who, it'll be what team what team in the mid-first round or late-first round wants one of these quarterbacks? Who, who's going to pull the trigger and make that move? Yeah, no, I think – I think Detroit could possibly Chargers move out. The Chargers, the Chargers, I think, are trying to move into the top three. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I think the Chargers they need a quarterback definitely. And yeah, they can't stick with Tyrod. Anyone? Yeah, exactly. So it's just like the Chargers. I mean, I think the Chargers are definitely a threat to move up. Um, and then who was the other the other squad? It's kind of just like the obvious one to move up. Uh, the Giants. Uh, or the the Panthers, no, the Jaguars. No. The Jaguars are at no, nine. No. Browns yeah, at ten. They're, they're not, I don't think the Jaguars are going to go quarterback. No. Browns aren't going to go quarterback. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be, it'll be fun. Denver's, at, Denver's at fifteen. They could move up. Yeah, Denver's. Yeah, Denver definitely could move up. That's definitely another. Oh, threat. you know what else? You know what else I just saw uh, browsing ESPN. Atlanta is trying to move up to the number two pick to take Chase Young. 
Yeah, see, so it's going to be – it's going to be – because there's some good talent. I think there's a handful – there's those two or three top guys in our quarterbacks, and there's a handful of good quarterbacks. So, it'll be – definitely, I think there's a trade at the top five somewhere. Yeah, and I think that's another – interesting aspect to the whole virtual draft is how the the trading of draft picks is going to work and if teams are going to be more or less likely to to hold on to their picks because they're not they're unsure of how the technology is is going to work you call call ba sports and you have them set up a draft (laughs) on and you get everybody online at the same time they have all the software already it'll be easy peasy people can trade picks just give everybody salaries, a PlayStation, and that's how you do the, the draft. Salar- the salaries are plugged in. It's it's perfect. I'm sure they could come up with a computer yeah. algorithm to yeah. do that. Yeah, but what yeah, if something fails? You don't even have to use a PlayStation. Yeah, like well, like I mean, if, if something uh, tech fails and you know it screws up a trade. Well, that's, well, that's with anything. I mean, yeah, they're running that risk that by risk. doing it virtually tomorrow. Yeah, that already started. Uh, once they went that like way. PlayStation's playstations don't fuck up that often yeah i mean they fuck up but not that often i will say i do think the nfl is happy they're avoiding uh any potential situation of a player jumping into the bellagio fountain as the the draft yeah, was supposed exactly. to take place in vegas yeah. they'll have that issue no, next year fine. there's yeah. no issue there's no issues with tech it's not like it's going to be hard for those guys i'm so definitely like, gonna t- i don't I'm, think that it's no, just sorry. getting a bunch of people it's just getting a bunch of people watching the stream is what's going to fuck up. I think the stream is the only thing that's really in danger. Like the rest of the tech is going to be fine. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean you just use I'm, phones. I'm definitely a lot more intrigued about this draft uh, than in past years, because I do want to see if anything were to happen. Cause I mean, who knows some general managers kid could come in and with a ball and throw it accidentally. And it knocked the internet router off and completely go offline. Who knows what could happen? Yeah, there, there goes the uh, the war room. Yeah, exactly. I don't think they I don't think their shit set up that basic, man. I think they got a little bit more money in their setup. I hope not. It's a little safer for those guys, I think. Yeah, but all right, let's uh, let's move on. I get, that that kind of wraps up the draft talk. I don't know, Tyler. Did you have anybody else you wanted to talk about, Jacob? Anybody else you wanted to talk about? No, I think we kind of touched on all the. Uh the more high prospect pieces. Yeah, no, I'm good. All right. So the biggest news of probably this entire quarantine was that the last dance, the bulls documentary on the 97, 98 season was going to be coming out early. It was supposed to come out in June around the, the same time as the NBA finals, but because of the whole quarantine situation, ESPN and Netflix and everybody involved uh, decided they were going to put it out early. And so episodes one and two debuted on Sunday night on April 19th. Episodes one and two averaged 6.1 million viewers on ESPN and ESPN2, making The Last Dance the most watched ESPN documentary they have ever released. Jeez. Pretty wild. Yeah, nice. It's cheating though. Releasing <laughs> during a during a quarantine. Yeah, you know nobody I mean? nobody's got anything else to watch. Yeah, that was probably the smartest yeah. thing they've done. Yeah, no, it's super smart. Just like just like Tiger King, you know, it's just like benefiting from the time. Just like the perfect time for for that kind of stuff to come out because everybody's watching. Yeah, 
So a lot of people it be cool no matter what. Oh yeah, no. Listen, this the debut for this. Whether it happened in June or happened like it did uh, on Sunday night, it was going to be big no matter what. The final setup would have been better, dude. It would have been cooler to see play a game, watch an episode, yeah. play a game, watch an episode. Like that would have been that just been like insane. That'd have been too too good to handle. Yeah, because realistically, you probably would have had game one or two of the NBA Finals on a Sunday where they could have the game probably at like three thirty or five thirty uh, West Coast time, and then right after, just air your two no, episodes. No, no. no, the plan. No, the plan was like like game. You know, game one is on Monday night. Uh, episode one is on Tuesday night. Episode oh, I get you. That it holds that you over the until point. the next game. I get you. Okay. Yeah. That so every single night you either had a finals game or you had a, a last dance episode. Okay. That was like the that was the original setup. That would have been cool. That's why I think it would have like originally how it was set up would have been dope, but like of course it's going to just smash re- smash records. Uh, you know, it's just going to keep growing in popularity. Yeah, definitely. So a lot of people have been talking about how this documentary was going to affect the the GOAT debate. And so I wanted to to mention my tweet that I tweeted out before the premiere real quick. And I, I said, I've seen so many people say hashtag the last dance is going to divide so many people in the GOAT debate. I'm excited to watch it so I can learn more about MJ and what made him great and why my hero Kobe Bryant wanted to be like Mike so I can... I can try to apply that kind of greatness to my life. Basically, the way I'm watching The Last Dance is I'm trying to learn as much as I can about Michael Jordan that I didn't know before. And boy, there is so much stuff in this documentary in the first two episodes that I didn't know. It is wild. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, it's it's great. Like, I'm getting, it's awesome, you know, for it's all. I have a little different perspective, I feel like, with you guys because I did, like, live through it. You know, I was 10 years old when in, in this season that they're covering, you know, so I'd been falling to basketball for three, four years already. Right. But, so like, you... I knew what – you know, I, I remember the Michael Jordan mania, and it just, it just, like, it feels like that whole, like, craziness that Michael Jordan had just a stranglehold on, on the culture is, like, coming back just because of this documentary. And it's cool to see a lot of details, that, you know, behind-the-scenes stuff that, as a 10-year-old, I didn't understand. But, you know, as an adult, I do understand. Like the traveling cocaine circus? Oh, yeah. I was just about to say. <laughs> yeah, I was about well, to talk that, on well, that. that stuff, well, and stuff like, you know, the front office type of stuff. Like, when I was a kid, I wasn't as aware of, of that kind of stuff. You know, Pippa's contract. Yeah. That kind of stuff I wasn't as aware of, but... The just like the greatness of the Bulls, like I was watching games for sure. Watch, you know, in that last three Pete, I watched dozens of Jordan, dozens of Jordan games from all three of those years. But so it's like it's really cool to just like go down this lane because it, you get like that feeling in the air again that was like was like '98. But uh, um, to me, also, it's just like I think it just settles the goat debate. I think it's kind of like. <laughs> It kind of puts it, you know, as much as like you could, you catch me any day of the week, I'll bounce back and forth between Kobe, Braun, MJ. You know, I'll argue for those three guys particularly all the time. 
but it's just like, man, I just think after this documentary, even after these, just these two episodes, so many people, so many young athletes uh, are flipping sides. I think what's so great about it is because historically we already know the end result of how many MVPs he won, how many uh, championships he won, all of his accolades. But what's really cool is that you start seeing all the little small nuggets of, of history as far as the pieces that we didn't know, as far as the cocaine issues, <laughs> that the, the Bulls the Bulls were atrocious before he got there. Well, before Magic and Bird got to the league, the yeah, NBA it, was they had going a problem. Th- yeah, yeah, they had a huge cocaine problem. They had a huge problem. drug problem. But I think what's so cool is that, yeah, we don't see uh, what was going on at the time. So this camera crew that was following him is now giving you insight in these in each episode, and which which is cool because Tyler mentioned that, yeah, you followed the Bulls during the 90s and their historic runs and how great of a team they were, but you didn't see the front office stuff. You didn't see the stuff that was going on behind the scenes because you were just admiring the runs that they were doing. Again, I didn't know about Pippen's contract issues at all. Right. I just figured that they had signed him for multiple years. He was given that contract, and everything was was fine. But again, you don't know that because you just take you take it for granted in a way that man, the Bulls won six of them in the '90s, and that's all that matters to you. And how great Jordan was, and how great that Bulls roster was throughout the '90s. But you don't think about the other stuff that goes with it. Yeah. So Steve, I no go Tyler. Uh, I was just gonna say to me, it's just like kind of like what Jacob was saying, but like even to a further extent. We can, like, look up all the facts. We can look at, like, everything why, like, Jordan's great. You know, you can look at, like, how bad the Bulls were before he got there and how good they became and, like, what everything. The path is, like, all the numbers are there. I think what – but everyone has that. Kareem has numbers. Will has numbers. You know, what we're seeing in the documentary is, like, the greatness and the aura that you can't really explain. But that's, like, what puts him ahead of everybody else. It's, like, of all those goats that have all these numbers, he's the greatest because it's just, like, you don't know why. It's just, like, the feeling and just his presence and all this stuff that's, like, kind of, like, gut gut feeling type stuff. You know, that's why Jordan's a goat. I think that that's what this documentary is doing a good job of portraying. It's kind of just, like, the greatness around him outside of the numbers. Yeah. And I I think what what's cool is – you're getting not only just Michael Jordan's story, but you're also getting the stories of other people, of, of yeah. everybody involved, really. That's the best part. And so I have a list of uh, moments in episodes one and two written down that I wrote down of stuff that I didn't know before that I thought really like stood out to me. And I, I kind of wanted to go through it with you guys to to get your guys' thoughts on it. We've We've kind of already touched on a couple of them. So we don't have to to go too in-depth when we get to those. But, like, for instance, the first one I have written down, they were going to break this Bulls team up even before the 97-98 season. They tried it, I think, in, like, 94-95. And then coming off the the fifth championship was when, like, it, it really got hot. And the Bulls were openly taking trade offers on Scottie Pippen. Which is funny because, yeah, in the documentary they mentioned that um, a lot of these players, you know, 
um, they were kind of in out of their prime, you should you could say, and that that's one of the reasons that Krauss was going to break them up. But there was also tension in that locker room, as you saw in the documentary too. We didn't see that again in the '90s because you just saw all the titles. That's all that mattered to you, right? But watching this, you really see the tension between management and certain players. Well, and management and Phil Jackson. Even you see? had the relationship between Jerry Krause and Phil Jackson, who Jerry Krause got Phil Jackson his start as an assistant coach in the NBA and then wanted him out. And then right before the 97, 98 season, Jerry Krause says to Phil Jackson, after Phil requested a new contract after winning five NBA titles for the bulls and coaches pay was starting to go up and Phil felt he needed to be compensated more. Jerry Krause told him, I don't care if you go 82 and Oh, this is your last year, which is funny because as soon as I saw that scene, the first thought that I had was how much more championships could they have won had they stayed together for another two, three years. And that's that's with every single team that gets breaking up, every dynasty. You can argue with that with the Lakers, Pistons, Spurs. Right. If Michael doesn't know that this is the last season that this core group is going to be together, does he retire in 98? Um, no, I don't think he does. Exactly. I, I don't think he does either. No. Yeah, but Pip, Pippen probably would have left no matter what. I think the damage was done. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So they would have like, they would have they figured something out, but... Yeah, no, that was that was interesting to find out that they were told it was their last season. I didn't know that. Yeah, and then uh, another thing I have written down: players. Are spe- I mean, Cross. Well, go for it, Tyler. Cross is just an ego maniac. I mean, that's oh, why. very much so. His, very much so. His, his ego got in the way of uh, uh, of like you know the team, and so instead of he wanted to control the team, and he let you know those guys kind of pick on him and let it get to him. Well, and it's really unfortunate that Jerry Krause has passed away prior to this coming out, and he didn't have the chance to be a part of this documentary to give his perspective in retrospect. But like you said, players openly mocking him, especially Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, they would openly curse out and make fun of Jerry Krause in front of anybody and everybody. Press, coaches, they didn't care. It's like... See, so it's just like stay in the office, don't come around. You know, I, I mean, he obviously like lost it. Like before, before that happened, obviously things something happened. You know, so it's just like, you know, he just blew it, man. He he was like a genius and one of the great, greatest architects in basketball history. But like he was just like he lost he lost that dynasty because of personal skills. Yeah, and it's like you know you could have even. It's like if you would have managed it better, the the team could have went on with Pippen as their player if Jordan did retire. Yeah. You know, like if you would have fixed that relationship before the seven year contract, it's like, you know, you could have you could have extended that. There were different ways you could have done it. And I def I definitely believe they had more championships to win. Yeah, and it's very clear that Swackhammer, the the villain in the original Space Jam, is a hundred percent depicted after Jerry Krause. I saw the meme yeah. on the internet, yeah. the, the lookalike. It's yeah. I, I can't unsee the resemblance. Even even the height. Yeah. Because oh, the yeah. first thing they mentioned in the documentary about Krauss is how he had, like, short man syndrome. Yeah, and Michael was like, uh, Michael said to him before a game one night, uh, hey, uh, Jerry, you want to come do layup lines with us? Uh, they might well, Yeah, have, we'll they, lower the rim. <laughs> we got, yeah. We'll lower the rim for you. Which which to me, yeah. what is baffling it's is crazy. that when it's it got crazy. to the Scotty part, horrible relationship. Um, when it got to the Scotty part about his contract, 
that that $18 million stretched over seven years is nothing compared to the contracts now. Well, and not only was it seven years over $18 million, and then the league exploded due to probably the Bulls winning, but Scottie Pippen was a top 10 player, if not top five player in the league at the time. And was getting paid crap money, too, for it. Yeah, but that's like that's half on him, half on the Bulls. I mean, he signed the contract because he needed to take care of his family, and he was worried about getting hurt. Right. At least that's what he says in the documentary. Right. Um, and so it's like he made that decision. Uh, so like you know, part of it is on him, but I also think that the Bulls organization, Michael Jordan, Jerry Krause, Phil Jack, someone needed to like stand up for Pippen. I think to get cut him more money to make him happy after they win three championships, you know, the first half of that contract. Well, um, and it was also just, un- it was unfortunate timing. I mean, it was a, it was a, like you said, it was a big contract right before the market, right before the market for players just ballooned up. I mean, Jordan went from making like eight, 9 million to 33 million in one year, in one season. You yeah. Know? Well, it, and the thing was, is it was known in the Bulls organization that the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, he told players, don't come back to me if you've basically outplayed your contract and want more money. So it's like Scotty yeah, was in, I mean, a, Scotty was in a shitty position. But that's why he sat out, too, though. Well, yeah, that's and, why. And Scotty sitting out also had to do with him postponing a surgery that he could have gotten in the summer. He didn't get the surgery okay. until October. Which is funny, but too, to because you get, Phil, yeah, you get Phil Jackson's perspective on it, and he says... Uh, they asked him the question, are you mad about it? He said, no. He said he had to do what he had to do. Right. Well, yeah, it's... I think Scotty Pippen did what he had to do because just like Gronk, they were trying to trade him. And that was, you know, when you don't have much power as a player. And right. so his only power was holding off surgery, sitting out games. So he doesn't end up playing in fucking Toronto. Phil had to deal with it again in, in LA with the Lakers and, uh, Shaq did the same thing in 2003, 2004, and he the, the famous quote was uh, Shaq said he, that he got hurt on company time, so he wanted to rehab on company time. And Scottie Pippen in the documentary said he didn't want to fuck up his summer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Typical yeah, Shaq quote. So, so it's just like from every perspective, it's just like justifiable. And I think it's just like it's just like a weird fact, and I think the owners did what they needed to do. Uh, obviously, like their actions are justified. Now, I do feel like they should have like kicked them. You know, what was it? Stephen A. said like Pippen should have got like Jordan should have kicked him ten mil or something like that. <laughs> something you know, like, like that. Someone should have took care of him, and I'm sure he made enough money. I don't think he was hurt for money from. Well, he ended up making more. He ended up making more money in basketball than Jordan ever did. But he had, he didn't have a choice. He had to play late in life, I right. think. Whereas Jordan had the choice to walk away whenever he wanted to, and he did. And it's like that's, and Twice. that's the other thing. It's just like him walking away and coming back to the Wizards makes him feel like they at least had one or two more chips in him. Yeah, oh, for sure. All right, um, a couple other things I had written down. Uh, a, another thing about Scottie Pippen: him growing up with a father and an older brother who were both wheelchair bound. Uh, and how he used basketball as his escape. And growing up in Arkansas, there wasn't really much to do. And uh, they had Scotty's older brother in one of the interviews. And Scotty's older brother said that they didn't know they were poor. They just were having fun every day as kids, just making the best of life. Which I think the biggest takeaway from watching that whole uh, scene is that 
in the early uh, 90s, late 80s, when they were running into the Pistons and they couldn't pass them uh, to to get to the finals, is that Scotty was almost a non-factor in those series. But once they hit 91, he was a completely different player. So I think every season he was growing. And that's what you saw. That comes from his childhood, though, and his upbringing. Yeah, no, it was cool learning about Pippen. Like, of course, you know, so much of it makes sense why the contract happened. You know, yeah. it's just he, he had a crazy upbringing. Yeah, and right. he, you know, the freak, the freaky like growth spurt and stuff like that. It's it's the growth spurt I knew about, but the the yeah the family members and stuff I did it. Yeah, definitely. All right, last two things I had written down. One, obviously, the common misconception of. Michael Jordan being cut from his varsity team. He wasn't cut as a sophomore. He just didn't make the varsity team. He still played JV that year as a sophomore. He was 5'11 his sophomore year, but his coach said in one of the interviews, they had two of his high school coaches. uh, His coach said that Michael came back after his sophomore year as a junior. He came back at like 6'3", 6'4" ultra athletic and that's when the the college recruitment really started and that's how he got on varsity if he had been cut he wouldn't have even played jv he would have been in the stands with the fans watching the basketball program play well see i knew he played i just didn't um i didn't know what what the um what the exact thing was as far as like did he play uh JV or varsity because I knew he played in high school but I didn't know to what extent he played right so he played sophomore as a JV and then he finally made varsity as a junior when he hit his growth spurt and grew like four or five inches over the summer which heightened sizes everything in the league yeah and that's ultimately how he became so athletic it was a really popular just like coach's story to like motivate you like oh Jordan got cut from the team you know freshman year but it was always just like you made it seem like he was sitting in the stands when you know, like you said, no, I just didn't make varsity. It's not that crazy. I mean, most basketball players don't. Right. But, but uh, I mean, it just shows that he was, he was resilient. Yeah. All right. The last thing I had written down, Michael convincing the Bulls to let him rehab his injury his second year when he broke his foot at the University of North Carolina. And he just started playing basketball without telling the Bulls. And he gets back and his calf on his injured leg is much stronger than his calf on his non-injured leg. And the Bulls were like, what the hell happened? And Michael basically fessed up and he told him he started playing one-on-one, then eventually two-on-two, then three-on-three, four-on-four. And eventually he got to five-on-five when he was rehabbing at UNC and he just got stronger and was able to play on it. I mean, they couldn't, I mean, management couldn't be too mad because I think at that point he had already played for a season and a half and they knew what kind of player they were getting. This wasn't no regular guy. Well, but it was after the, the story that Jerry Reinsdorf had told when he had initially got hurt, what was like the chance of him getting hurt again with the doctor, right? With the 10% versus the 90% and Jerry Reinsdorf had to break it down to Michael and say, if I gave you, if you had a headache, and yeah, I gave the you ten pills. and gave you ten pills. Nine of them would cure you, or nine of them would cure you, but one of them would kill you. Would you still end up taking the pill? And Michael's answer was, "Well, it depends on how bad the fucking headache was." So, yeah. no, I, I think that that was like that was a risky ass move by Michael. Very and risky. Like, and if I was management, I'd be fucking pissed. Yeah, they could sure. avoided his contract. Yeah, exactly. That's just like. You know, he's just lucky it worked out, so it's all good. That's why it's like okay to tell, but that could have been that could have derailed everything, you know. 
Yeah. Especially when they said, you know, if you re-aggravated the injury, you might not be able to play again. Yeah, exactly. But it, it's just like it all worked out. Um, he was young. It was, I think that it was probably a mistake in hindsight for him, but it worked out. So no harm, no foul. Yeah, it ended up working out to to the very best of its potential. Yeah, no, he's lucky. It's, I mean, straight up, that was, like, definitely not a great decision. I don't think that's something that's, like, you're proud of. Like, yeah, it's a cool story because you made it, but if you didn't, it'd be a fucking tragic story. Right, no, I mean, he could have been Sam Bowie, and Sam Bowie could have been Michael Jordan in that case. Yeah. But, all right, so from the clips and previews we've seen, it looks like episodes three and four, which come out this coming Sunday, uh, will be about Dennis Rodman and oh, the Bulls. See, that's that's what I'm most excited about because if there's someone who's the most interesting on that team, it's it's Rodman. Right. So episodes three and four are going to be about Dennis Rodman and the Bulls rivalry with the Bad Boys Pistons and how Rodman ultimately left Detroit and came to Chicago. So I'm very excited. I was blown away by the first two episodes. I can only imagine it's only going to get better. Uh, with episodes three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, so and again, you said it earlier, but I just want to make the point of it again that I just like hearing from other people, not just management and Phil and you know the coaches, but players too, because you hear a lot from Kerr, and these are interviews that I've never seen before. Yeah, and so you're getting their no, stories about, as well. That's why it's so epic. It's a bunch of you know never before seen footage of the most popular team ever. Yeah, this footage has been sitting in a vault in Secaucus, New Jersey at NBA Entertainment offices for the last 23, 22 years. And they were just itching to release it. It'll be be on Netflix eventually. Yeah, I saw that it's the entire series will be released on Netflix, I believe, in July. They released it worldwide on Netflix. And, and like, I think America is the only one where they're... They're waiting until July in America. Yeah. So, so no, it's 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 great, dude. My family was big time Rodman people during his three years in Chicago, so I'm super excited for that. And then, you know, also a huge Phil Jackson fan, so I think there's gonna be a Phil Jackson episode too. Yeah. Well, and apparently, the the whole documentary leaked on the internet somewhere. I have yet to find the link. Once I do, I will definitely send it to you guys because I'm itching to see it. But I was also So I mentioned at the top when we were talking about it, ESPN and ESPN2, there were two separate broadcasts. ESPN had a TV MA, TV Mature, which was completely uncensored, unfiltered. And that's the one that you need to watch. Right. They had that broadcast. And then ESPN2 had TV14, more family-friendly, censored, no cursing. Nah, I don't want that. No. But when they announced it, that when they announced that they were doing two separate broadcasts on ESPN and ESPN two, one family friendly, one uncensored, unfiltered, everything. I was expecting a lot more cussing. I didn't, I thought there was going to be a lot more cussing in, in episodes one and episodes two. I, I was kind of surprised that there wasn't as much. I was expecting it'll like, are you saying in the interviews or, yeah. or, or during practices? Because I feel like during the practices is when you would really get all the uncensored content. Yeah, I definitely thought we would get a little bit more, like, practice footage where we saw Michael going off on somebody. Berating teammates and um, 
Yeah, and even in the interviews, I think with Rodman, we'll probably see a lot more cussing because I don't think he can go a he full sentence without he, yeah, saying he a cuss word. He doesn't hold back. But no, I thought we, we might get a couple more F-bombs from, from Michael. I just think it's like, that's just not how you describe describe things, you know. You won't get too many, like, times where he's, like, you get coverage of him, like, cussing somebody out. That's just, you're going to get some explicit content, but it won't be a ton of cussing. Okay. All right. That that wraps up uh, the talk about uh, the recap of episodes one and two of The Last Dance. I, I'm going to assume that we should just probably keep doing this every week. Oh, yeah, I'm excited until, for until this is over. So you'll get a recap of episodes three shout and four two, next week. Shout two things really quick about the documentary. What's up? Uh, I think that the A, shout out Roy Williams. I think he just crushed it. His, yeah. His sound bites, like, his sound bites give you chills. Like, when he said he's the only player that could ever turn it on and off, and he never freaking turned it off. Like, have you ever been so, like, fucking pumped or when they when to run Roy, through a wall when, and he didn't even cuss he said freaking <laughs> he said freaking and you're still just like pumped you know well and then also roy one of the best quotes that he had he said that um they saw michael for the first time at a camp or something in north carolina that one of his high school coaches yeah. put him in and by day five the end of the camp they thought he was the best player in the country yeah yeah no all, but like Roy Williams, you see, like that that quote right there where he said he never freaking turned it off. Like that's how you know, like that's that kind of great coaching. You know, his pregame speeches are probably pretty epic. But dude, also you want to know what the other thing is kind of just like under the radar is Hakeem Olajuwon was so fucking good <laughs> that no one no one questions the Rockets for taking him over Jordan. Yeah, like, not at all. Like, it's like it's like it's just like okay, Rockets took Hakeem. The Blazers blew it, and then Jordan. Well, you know but they I mean? kind of explain like, they kind of explain the Blazers' thought process. What they had a similar type player no, in Clyde I, Drexler. No, I know. No, I understand. Like it makes sense in basketball. Like why you know, looking back at it, don't draft. But in hindsight, everyone talks about Sam Bowie as the bust that was drafted before right. Michael Jordan. But it's just like no one would ever say like I can't believe the Rockets took. Like that's how great Elijah one was. Yeah, for sure. Volumes is like no one even cares that they took him first. (laughs) Yeah, but no. So next week we'll definitely recap episodes three and four. That'll most likely be about Dennis Rodman and the the Bad Boys Pistons. We'll we'll have to wait till Sunday night for for confirmation on that. But I think I think it is supposed to be like a Pistons Phil Jackson format. I love it. I I can't wait for it. It's I I know. That yes, Michael Jordan has full control, and at the end of the at the end of the day, he's only going to let out so much of all of this stuff that the the camera crew shot over that last year. But I've just been blown away by by the stuff that they've put out so far. Is this unlike nothing I've ever seen? Nothing I've ever experienced. Yeah, but all right, let's. Let's move on. We got one more topic to talk about before we wrap it up with the top 10 primary ball handling playmakers in the NBA right now. Some big news out of high school, college ranks, I guess. But now it's really the pro ranks because Jalen Green 
uh, number one overall recruit in ESPN's top 20 or ESPN's 2020 recruiting. Let me try that over. Jalen Green, the number one overall recruit in ESPN's 2020 recruiting class, signed a contract with the NBA G League, and he will be forgoing his college options. He has won gold medals with USA teams at FIBA U17 and U19 World Championships, and he's the fourth player or the fourth top five player in the ESPN top 100 to forego college. Obviously, RJ Hampton, Emmanuel Moutier, and Brandon Jennings are the other three. What do we think think of this move? Uh, I mean, I think it's a big it's a big wake up call for the uh, NCAA because you're going to have a lot of these people go this route now, and they're going to be avoiding college. I mean, that that was always the talk before because you had players going overseas and skipping out on college because they can just spend a year or two. Uh, overseas and go pro and then come back to the U.S. and then play for the NBA if they get drafted. Now, this this route, I feel like it's going to be – you're going to start to see it more. Yeah, I think it's just an expansion on there's a different route to the NBA coming and people are looking to avoid the NCAA. And it's just – you know, I think it's more speaks to like the NBA has got to change the, the eligibility rule. The one-and-done rule has got to go. Um, you just got to let them play if they're able to play it. Uh, there's no reason to enforce them to the NCAA or force them anywhere. You got people like LaMelo Ball, Brandon Jennings, you know, RJ Hampton. And then Isaiah Todd is actually, Isaiah Todd is another top 20 recruit. And he's actually going to the G League as well. So him and Jalen Green are both skipping, skipping college. And you're also seeing the fifth year prep program becoming a thing, you know. Zaire Wade just that announced that he's doing a fifth year prep program. And that you know that's something that uh, that's something that Jalen McHugh did, who got drafted straight from fifth year to the Phoenix Suns. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that Kenyon Martin Senior is going from his fifth year straight to the G League. So that's another different route, uh, you know. And so I think Zaire Wade is uh, going to have a similar route as Kenyon Martin Senior, where he's going to have a fifth year uh, at a prep school, and then he's going to. He's going to go to the D League. And I don't think he ever sees, you know, he ever sees college. Now you still can go to college uh, out of a prep school, uh, but most, uh, I, and I think most of them do. But these top guys that are doing it, I think they're going to other things. Yeah. Also, uh, Tyree Walker is another like big time recruit who just got done with his fifth year, and he's going pro overseas. So I just think that this is just another – you're just kind of seeing another example of how players are finding different ways to get to the league. There's no one right way to get to the league. Yeah. Now, most people love what the NBA is doing with the G League option and trying to help players navigate their paths to the NBA through alternative routes from the NCAA. But uh, this guy, Mark Titus, on Twitter kind of had a devil's advocate – opinion and i wanted to to share it with you guys and then ask you guys a question so this this was his tweet and it's kind of a, a sequence of four events so one nba adds rule making pros- prospects be a year out of high school basically forcing guys to play for free in ncaa two ncaa corruption skyrockets three ncaa exploits opportunity pumps g league signs number one recruit who's jalen green and then four, everyone applauds NBA for sticking it to the NCAA and, quote, fixing 
the problem that the NBA created itself. So clearly we're seeing a trend of more top players forego their college opportunities for pro opportunities outside of the actual NBA because they do have to sit out that one year. We see guys doing this G League option. We see guys going to Australia like LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton did to go play in the NBL. We see guys go over to Europe and all that other stuff. How much longer do you think we will see the one-and-done rule in place? Less, less than less than what five years? I think you know, it's, new CBA? I think it's less than that. I think it's less than two years, yeah. dude. Well, hey, I said less than five. <laughs> right? So that's less fair. Less than two is less than five, but it's not something that's going to happen overnight. But it's for sure happening soon. It's not going to last. I think. I think like Bronny, you know, Bronny was a freshman, and I think by the time he's like coming out, it'll probably be gone. Yeah, I think. Ultimately, I think it's going to happen somewhere. I think it could honestly happen within the next year, possibly by 2021, to where they say, all right, we're getting rid of the rule now in 2021, but it's not going to take effect until, like, 2024, like when Bronny, Tyler, like you said, when Bronny's eligible. Yeah, I think there'll be a change in the next two years, but then, like, it won't take effect, like you're saying, until another year or two after that. Got it. It's going to be good. I mean, I think that... There shouldn't be an age limit on on when you play the NBA. If you're good enough to play, you're good enough to play. I think the NCAA should just be an option. Like the NCAA offers competitive basketball and high exposure. So if you want to go that route, you can go that route. If you want to go straight to the NBA, you can do that. You want to go overseas and develop your game. You want to go to the, you know, whatever. Players should be able to make up their mind. There shouldn't be any rules restricting them on how, you know, they can play. And it's also like, if someone has a high school diploma, they could play in the NCAA. So it's like you, you never know. You may see you may see kids graduate at 16 and go play at the NCAA at 17. You know, there's, there's going to be all sorts of different ways players get to the league now, and I think that that's only a good thing because players develop at different times. Yeah, definitely. But, all right, that that's it on that topic. Let's close it out now with the final installment of our five-part series ranking the top players at each position in the NBA. And like we've said, the last four weeks, uh, we've kind of taken liberty with how we're defining each of the five positions now in the NBA because we see in the NBA somewhat of a positionless basketball. So we didn't want to put hard parameters on the old school center, power forward, small forward, shooting guard, point guard designations on these players. So, Tyler, why don't you explain kind of what primary ball handling playmaker means? Basically, it's like you're, you know, I think it's like the new version of a point guard in all, in all like, you know, reality. It's it's the point guard of the, of the day because, you know, I think in the old, you know, you know, pre like 2005 ish, maybe like pre Kobe and Shaq, uh, you know, guards were typically guys that set up the offense point guards that weren't that, you know, scoring point guards didn't win championships, you know, guys like Francis and Stephon Marbury and those kind of guys, they weren't winning championships. It wasn't like a style play that was like really accepted. And nowadays it is, I mean, you put the, you put the ball in the hands of the best player and, you know, you've had guys like Pippen and Lamar Odom, you know, point forward type of players, and but they would play like 
you know, they play smaller roles. And now I just think it's just like everyone accepts it. Everyone's open-minded to who brings the ball up. And I think that you'll see by the list, it's just like it doesn't matter what kind of body type you are. Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of game you have. If you're a scorer, if you're a facilitator, basically every team has a guy that just dominates the ball. And he is their playmaker, point guard, you know, ball handler. And that's that's kind of this list. And I think it's just a better way to kind of compare, you know, some of these guys don't belong in like other lists where you could, these, most of these guys are so good. They could play multiple positions, but really these are the guys that bring up the ball. Yeah. No, I mean, I see three people on my list right now that probably could have been categorized in two other categories that we've talked about on previous shows while we've done this uh, ranking. Yeah, it's the same, same, yeah, same three guys I have and like, you know, those guys are really like what's opening everybody's eyes and uh, to, you know, what the position of point guard really is. It like kind of the stereotypes behind it. It doesn't have to be the little guy that's good with ball handling and passing can hit the open shot. It's no, it's much larger. This, this guy is like the usage rate on these 10 players is through the roof. Yeah. This is, this is basically your player that can do it all for your team. The only way I can describe it is just like the NFL, you know, you can rank all your players, but then it's like the list of quarterbacks is just like way more star studded than every other position. Oh yeah. These I mean, are the quarter. These are the court, the one through 10 of these guys are greater than most of the, you know, third or fourth best players of the other positions. This is like the creme de la creme uh, NBA player. Yeah. This list was probably the easiest list I had in terms of not struggling to find names. No, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think my first my first go through to the league, um, I ended up with 18 names. So I had to cut it down from 18 to 10. Right. So, all right, why don't you just kick it off then with your number 10? All right, so my number 10, um, I'm going to go because I think this guy is a stud and I, I still believe in him. Up on him is John Wall. Interesting. Wall, I think I think is a guy that you know typically is in the top five parameter, um, but he did you know he did sustain a tough injury. He was out of shape. He did have some off court issues as far as like mentally with his mother passing, which I think is really hard to get over, um, or his mother being sick. Uh, you know, I think that once he gets back on the court, John Wall is still one of the most valuable players in the NBA. Yeah, and then, I mean, he injured his knee, and then while he's rehabbing for that, he slips at home while on crutches and ruptures his Achilles and just prolongs that injury even more to where he... Yeah, it was like an 18-month window of of him going to be... Yeah, we basically aren't going to see John Wall for two full NBA seasons. But we should see him by the beginning of next year. Yeah, but that'll be basically two full seasons. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, so it's like, it's really easy to count him out, but... I know of how good of a player he was, and I think that he can still come back and be, you know, a, a, an all-star caliber point guard. Yeah. Jacob, who you got at 10? All right. So for number 10, I went with somebody who started off in a smaller market, and that's Kemba Walker. Uh, he started off in Charlotte. Yeah, he started off in Charlotte and then obviously getting traded to Boston. Now, I think that he's kind of like the Damian Lillard where he played for that smaller market, didn't really get the exposure because he played in Charlotte. But now that he's in Boston and he's playing with a much better team, I think that he's going to get the, uh, the respect and the exposure that he deserves. Okay. All right. So I'm going to preface 
what I'm about to say, first off by saying three names who did not make my list, but it was very hard to keep them off. And you mentioned two of them, both of you. Tyler, you mentioned John Well or John Wall and Jacob, you mentioned Kemba Walker. John Wall I had to leave off because of basically what I said. We haven't seen him in basically two full NBA seasons. It's it's hard for me to put him on the list right now. Kemba Walker, great player. I have someone at ten who I have ahead of him just solely based off of youth and potential. The third name I wanted to to say that I left off, unfortunately, was Kyle Lowry. Mm, yeah. yeah, I knew that's what you were going to say. <laughs> that was another one I figured. So, all right, enough said on that then. No, I'm going to – so you must have what, like Mike Conley at 10? No, yeah. I have Trey Young at 10. Yeah, see, he was – no, now he was my um, – what's – what's yeah, he was my number 11th that okay. I had. Okay, yeah. Honorable mention, I should say, yeah. Yeah, so my honorable mentions were Kemba, Kyle Lowry, and John Wall. But my number 10 is Trey Young. What that kid is doing, what that kid is doing, is just special, and he is already to me a top ten playmaker in the NBA. Yeah, Trey Trey Young is a bona fide superstar. Definitely been on the bandwagon for a while. Love love Trey's game. I unfortunately left him off just because of how great this list is. And John Wall, I'm not going to count him out until I see it. For sure, for sure. But all right, who you got at number nine? Um, at number nine, this kid is like a great example of why we made the list. Why we made it, but I got Ben Simmons. Interesting. I also have nine. Ben Simmons at nine. I think Ben Simmons has like MVP potential and could be one of the better players in the league. But obviously, the jump shot is like a huge, um, you know, chink in the armor. That's always and been the concern. Kind of, and then just kind of the, uh, you know, inconsistency as a leader. You know, it's like I think that the injury thing is behind them, you know. I think that they've, they've shown that they can stay healthy and make playoff runs and finish seasons now. But I still just see inconsistency in leadership and no jumper. So that's why he's at nine. Uh, but he's still just a freak, freak basketball player. Yeah, definitely. Who do you have at nine, Jacob? Actually, I have Simmons at nine as well. Oh, too. so all three yep. of us have Ben Simmons at nine. Only, only again because of the jump shot. To me, it's like he has all the other assets of the game, but it's like that jump shot, man, especially the three. Yeah, no, Tyler said it. The two biggest question marks with Ben Simmons are his jump shot and, jump shot and his leadership skills. It's plain that's and simple it. with him. Like it, that's it, and those are two things. That it's like tomorrow you can get better. It's like jump, you know, a three-pointer is reps. I know that he's taking the reps. I know that he just is like waiting on his green light. But yeah, it's now like, it's the confidence with you know, him. You you can you can make a shot. You can you can become a good shooter, and you can become a good leader. Uh, you know, being a good leader is just be, being a pro. Right. You know, you don't even have to be. You don't have to be a nice guy. You don't have to be a disciplinarian. You just have to be a pro, day in day out. You know, bring your lunch to work type shit. Uh, and the, you know, so it's like his game is fixable, and that's why I believe that he does have like MVP type potential. Yeah. All right. Uh, who do you have at eight, Tyler? At number eight, um, it's tough to have him this low, but I got to go with my guy CP3. So do oh, I. Same thing with eight. Wow. Yep. Okay, so two in a row. Well, I, see, I can't count we'll him out only because of what he's done this season, too, and he's always been consistent, no matter where he's been. Yeah. Yeah, this guy was, like, best point guard in the league for a handful of years. You know, I think he was a top five point guard for the last handful of years, and he's showing that, you know, he's not to be forgotten about. 
Right. And Tyler, we, we had multiple conversations on the show when the trade went down of him going to Oklahoma City for Russell Westbrook. We thought he was going to throw it in and basically call it a career and just collect a paycheck in Oklahoma City. But he's really taken that well, role in leadership, that, that role in Oklahoma City head on and, and taken that team as his own and, and made an imprint on that organization. And they would have made the playoffs. We just didn't, we just didn't, you know, we didn't see him having this kind of season and we didn't, we weren't going to blame him if he mailed it in because he was basically casted out to kind of die for his career to die. And he's done, I mean, just an amazing job this season. One of the, one of the low key, just best seasons I've ever seen to, to be cast in a way where no one would have blamed you for doing what Scar said and just packing it in. No one would have blamed him. And, uh, but you know, he, not only did he come at it with that professional attitude that Ben Simmons lacks, uh, he turned that team into a playoff team that was supposed to be a lottery team. Yeah. So, all right. So we both had, or all three of us had Ben Simmons at nine. All three of us had Chris Paul at eight. Yep. Do all three of us have yeah. Russell Westbrook at seven? No. Uh, no, not, not even close. Okay. All right. Well, I have Russell Westbrook at seven. No, I got I got Luka Doncic at number seven. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Luka's another one kind of in the Simmons role where he is their point guard. He, he does look like a forward, but he is their point guard. Um, he's their playmaker. And I think that he has, like Ben Simmons, I think that he has MVP potential. Uh, probably going to have it. I mean, most likely we'll get an MVP before Ben Simmons. I think he's further along in his development, hence I have him higher on the list. Um, Donkic is like a special player, but I think that the six names ahead of him are just like the class of the NBA. So uh, just purely because of the youth and and the guys in front of him today, he's at number seven, but he's obviously a guy that's only going to climb up this list the next 10 years. Yeah. Who do you have at seven? All right. So at seven, I put uh, Kyrie Irving. Now I put him a little bit lower than I would normally only because the, the question was when I was putting together this list and it's always been something that I've had with him is his leadership as far as him being on several teams. The whole issue was with him in Boston. I still remember that. And even to this Brooklyn team, I know they haven't had a lot of time to gel and come together, especially with Durant still being out, but it's always been an issue for me as far as his, his leadership and where um, he holds his relationships with his guys in the locker room. So to me, I had to put him a little bit low. Now, this is not to say he's one of the best one-on-one scorers, ball handlers in this league, like hands down. But it's in this league, it's more than just that. You need to have the leadership role. And if that's the kind of player he is, then he has to take on that extra attribute as well. Yeah. No, it makes sense. All right. Um, at six, I have Luka Doncic. Um, Tyler, you mentioned youth as a reason why you have guys ahead of him. I completely agree. But listen, man. I could see next year us doing this ranking again, and he's at number two or maybe even number one. This kid yeah, is special. No, yeah, no, in, in a playoff run this year, he could be number one. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, and he could have had that chance. Headed, he's headed towards greatness, I believe, and it's purely because I, it's purely because the guys in front of him have already accomplished greatness that he's not, you know, higher. Yeah. But at number six, I got a guy that's like, it's tough to have him at six. I mean, it really, it really hurts because he's a better player than this. 
but I got I got I got the the certified killer Dame Willard. Oh yeah. Ooh, I have him a little bit higher actually. See, I have Luca at six. Okay. Yeah, makes and sense. I, and then I have Dame yeah. at five. Okay. Dame, you know, like I said, I mean, I gotta pick, I gotta pick somebody. And if I was being honest with myself, I just I did a draft, and he was he was six. The the guy, the couple guys in front of him, I just I gotta take I gotta take them over him. I think that they all are the same talent level. I think they all are capable of the same things. He's just um, he's had the lack of the uh, team success that these other guys have had. Yeah. That's definitely what's hurting him most, I think. Because he's willed yeah. his team to the playoffs. Yeah. And as, and as far as they could get. No, and listen, there were... Yeah, he, but he's had, great, he's had great playoff runs and bad ones, though. So he's had first-round exits. He's, had, he's been swept, but he's also swept people and upset people. And he's so, also been to the know, Western Conference Finals now. But, it, but as funny as it sounds, though, the last one when they got to the Western Conference Finals and got swept by the Warriors... To that organization, that's a success. As weird, oh, as, it, as, weird as it may seem, them getting to the oh, Western sure. Conference Finals was a success season. That's the farthest him and CJ oh, have yeah, ever gone. Go. Yeah. No, they, they, no, 100%. That's like a huge, huge win for Dame. Um, and Dame's great. I mean, I think he's like the most clutch player in the NBA. Uh, I, think, I don't think LeBron, Kyrie, Steph, none of those guys. Like, if I got one shot at the buzzer, I want Dave, Dave Lillard taking it. Uh, I just think that, like, I ha- I got to take somebody, and Dame just lands at six. Yeah. So you had Luca at six, Jacob. Luca at six, Dame, Dame, Dame at five. Dame at five. Tyler, who do you have at five? At five, I got uh, I got Uncle Drew, Kyrie Irving. Okay. So I – uh, oh, Go ahead. No, because at five for me, I have Damian Lillard, and then four, I have Kyrie Irving. Yeah, so like I took Kyrie over Dame because I think that you know Kyrie has obviously had the ability to show what he can do at the finals level. Um, I think that he's shown the ability to to that he can he can lead a team. Now he's he fumbled obviously his job in Boston, and we haven't gotten to see uh, Brooklyn, so he hasn't really showed that he can lead a team. But we all know that his talent. A lot. He is a number one. Right. His talent um, level. He's a number one option. But can he be the yeah, number one guy? So it's just like between him, you know, Damian Kyrie. It's tough to pick between those two guys. I only pick Kyrie just because of the, you know, the postseason success. Yeah, the ring. And I think I think that he does have, you know, I think that he does have some. Uh, he's got the best handles in the game, probably outside of baby step there. There's a little, there's a couple little tweaks, but this is, you know, nitpicking at this point. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, this list was probably, like I said, the easiest to make, but it's also one of the hardest to make because because you got to narrow it down. At you some have to point. narrow it down with so many big names and so many, so much stuff on these guys' resumes to where it's like, how do you compare these guys? I basically just tried to do a draft of, you know, who I'd want on my team if I was trying to win a championship. Yeah. No, and that's that's honestly and probably the best Ky- way to go to go about it. Kyrie's a bad bad man, so yeah, I guess, he is. you know. And the fact that he's over Dame Lillard, you know, that just shows how how good I think he is. Yeah. So, Jacob, who do you have it for? So, at number 4, I have uh Russell Westbrook well, on the Houston Rockets. Oh, at 5 I had Dame. 
Yeah, so yeah. we already kind of talked yeah, about uh, him. Yeah, we passed five with me, but yeah, uh, four. Yeah. I have uh, Russell Westbrook. Okay. Yeah. And I also have Russell Westbrook at number four. At four. Okay. Um, I I got to take him over Kyrie and Dame, purely off of just the intensity to win in all aspects of the game. Uh, triple double for three years in a row. Never thought it was possible. Uh, one of our favorite players in the league, and I think one of the most passionate players in the league. So, like, when it comes to, you know, drafting a point guard to lead my team, Westbrook, I got to take Westbrook over. And Westbrook has been to the finals, just like Kyrie. Doesn't have the ring, but he's been there. Uh, made a lot of playoff runs. He's experienced, and he's just, man, he's just tenacious at, at when he goes after the game. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I'm, I'm probably, I don't know. I'm, I don't know what I'm holding against Russell. It, it might be the Damian Lillard stuff. But, like, I'm looking at my list, four Kyrie Irving, five Damian Lillard, six Luka Doncic, seven Russell Westbrook. It's like I could really easily make an argument to put Russell at four. I could make an argument to put him at five, six, and seven. Like, this list. I think that it's, you know, it's like Doncic and Westbrook just do so many things. Kyrie and Dame are just the prototype scoring point guard. Whereas, like, you know, so that's. I think that, you know, Donkage, I you know, I pass on Donkage over Damian Kyrie because they've just been doing it for so much longer. And then, But when it comes to Westbrook, Kyrie, and Dame, I think Westbrook just offers you more, even though he's not quite as a, as a killer, like when the clock, you know, it's got five seconds left. Well, he's the worst shooter one. out of the three. But shooting's never yeah, really so, been his but, game. Yeah, he's the worst ball handler and the worst shooter out of the three. But the guy does so many things so well. He makes your team so good that uh, I just think I would want Westbrook over Kyrie and Dan to win win a chip. Yeah, no, listen, I I can't argue with it. Russell's Russell's one of the only players in the NBA that has that that Mamba mentality, and he's he's one of my favorite players in the NBA. So three, it's triple doubles, dude. Three years, triple I know, double man. average. I know. Trust never me, you I, don't got to tell me. And he's number four. Yeah, that's what's crazy. But all right, so who do you have at three then? Number three, I think I got what most people would say is the best traditional guard in the NBA, um, and that's James Harden. Oh, same. I have Harden at three as well. Interesting. Harden at three. um, All three of us have Harden at three. I got Harden at three. He's just like an unreal talent, unreal score. You know, he's in the – you know, Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony, Allen Iverson, you know, Michael, Kobe, when it comes to, like, offensive package, he's got the biggest – he has the biggest bag in the league when it comes to an offensive package. He um, scores so easily, too. I think that's what people don't yeah. realize sometimes is that it's just the way yeah. he scores, he gets to the line so much. Yeah, he may hook you. He has that move. But, like, the way he just racks up points to me is just crazy. He has a horrible, like – Nobody wants to watch him play. Like, he has just an... Uh, like well, it's, an all, it's all isolation. Yeah, yeah. No one wants to watch him play. He can't play defense. But, yeah, he's still above Westbrook, Kyrie, Dame, Donkage. That's how good he is at offense. Is that yeah. You don't care. You take all the faults to get 35 a game. And I do believe that he's, he's one of the, you know, five names in the NBA that I think we're going to see a 40-point average for a season. Uh, you know, within the you know some time, I think we're going to see it soon, and he's definitely like a candidate for that. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's he's leading. He led the league this year with thirty four point four points per game. I don't, 
with the pace of play and the amount of shot attempts that D'Antoni is willing to let him take. It's and he's got the green light right now oh, in Houston. The, the greenest of lights. Yeah. Westbrook, you know, and he has Russell Westbrook. So it's just like he what he's doing is special. So I got him at number three. All right. So, yeah, I mean, all three of us had him at number three. So then our one and twos have a high chance of being similar, too. Uh, number two. I, mean, I got I got I got Steph Curry at number two. Yeah, same thing. Yep. Yeah, and then number one, LeBron. Yep. Yeah. And number one, LeBron. LeBron's the best player in the world to me, so I think that that ultimately puts him at number one. But like I've said, I've talked up Curry a uh, tremendous amount on this show. I think that he could, you know, at the end of the day, he might have a better career than Magic Johnson when it comes to the pure point guard. I still think that he is a top five. Uh, I think it's like a top six player in the world, um, even with the injury. And just like I put, just like I had Durant as the number one forward, I don't care about injury. Like, I, if this man has still got air in his lungs and his legs still work, this is one of the baddest dudes the game's ever seen. Well, and he he broke his left hand, not even his shooting hand. So the that's, injury, that's the injury is not even really going to affect yep. him. Yeah, so it's just like I got to take Curry. Um, as at number two, only behind LeBron, just because of LeBron's just, I mean, we all know LeBron is just pure package as a, as a point guard. And it's good to see that they're actually acknowledging him as a point guard this year when really he's been playing point guard his whole life. Well, he's leading the league in assists this year. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah. And that's, you know, and that's purely because he's got talent and that's, he's a facilitator. He's always been this guy, you know, he's just, continuing to grow as a player even 17 years in yeah I think with Curry though it's crazy because he's not your fastest player he doesn't have crazy athleticism but he's just so crafty that he knows his spots he's gonna go down as probably the best shooter or one of the best shooters of all time and to me he's already shown the leadership from when he led his team in 2015 to their first title when he was with them yeah and think about think about what it takes to understand it's like he understands he's not the tallest not the fastest most athletic point guard in the league. So he had to compensate his game and he did that with his shooting and his ball handling. He's not the tallest. And it's, and it's not even the best, but if you look at his ball handling, it's not even the best. It's not Kyrie's handles, but it's just so crafty. I, I think Steph and Kyrie are probably one and two in ball handling in terms of the NBA, yeah. but but because Steph Steph's size, he had to to adjust his shooting game further out. Yeah. Instead of having to shoot over him, he was just shooting further out and players weren't guarding him that far out he, he broke the game man he broke it well and i saw he, he's, he's the best shooter ever and he's the best point guard i've ever seen in my lifetime yeah and uh slam the the basketball magazine company they they tweeted out a picture of steph curry and they said use one word to describe steph curry's impact on the game of basketball and i retweeted it with the word undeniable it's just he, yeah. It is. I'll, I'll, I'll always have love for Steph Curry because I just, you know, having a front row ticket to watching him break the NBA and just ruin everybody's parade was was great. And I'll never forget the stranglehold he had on basketball and how what an influence he he has, you know. And he just changed the game forever. And it honestly happened almost overnight. What it seemed like because. Even before uh, their first championship, 2014, I think they get eliminated in the second round 
to the Spurs, if, I believe. Because like the Spurs are the Clippers. Yeah, it was the Spurs, City yeah, Clippers. Spurs are the Clippers, and you didn't think they were going to get that far again, much less win a championship either. It, you want to know why it felt overnight is because, you know, that playoff run they made, that was with Doc Rivers or Mark Jackson. He leaves. They hire Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr's first year was the lockout year. Yeah, so they so got 66 games. So, so it was like when they came and they punched you in Wait, the mouth. It was no, 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 no. The lockout year was, the lockout the, year the was 2011. Yeah, that was when the Cavs won. No, there was no lockout that late. The lockout was in 2011. Oh, or, yes. Uh, what, yeah. what was it? No, the lockout um, was in 11. That was when the, the Heat won their their first title together. Yeah, that I, was guess in... why, I guess why I think it seems like it was overnight is like the Warriors were like good, and then like Steve Kerr came in, made a couple tweaks. After, I guess it wasn't the, the lockout year, but it was like overnight they became a different team with like the same players. Right, exactly. That was you always, know, that was always like, the criticism on Steve Kerr was he, he won a championship with Mark Jackson's players. Yeah, they brought in Iguodala. They think he was going to start, and then you know, like Barnes ends up like like losing his starting job, and then he wins it back with Steve Kerr. Yeah, uh, and you know, and Iguodala comes off the bench. Like it did happen overnight because they kind of, you know, they went from like an average team, didn't really make any roster moves, and then became a dominant team. It was just like you had no time to adjust. You had never seen small ball, fast paced basketball ever win a championship. There was like a ton of injuries that year too, I believe. Well, and also it like wasn't the, it wasn't the like, prettiest like of Durant, breakups between. I think. Oh yeah, I that was like when Durant Mella. That was Durant, when Durant Mello, hurt his Kobe. foot. Yep, all the yep. there was like the the gates opened for them that first year in the playoffs. Like I remember because I was so skeptical of them and I wanted to prove why they weren't great. And so when they finally did win the championship, I was like, well, I mean, Durant Durant was hurt. Uh, you know, all these, all these big players, the, the East and the West, I don't know them off the top, but it's like Kobe. I know Kobe was down. Um, and so it's like it just opened up for them to get to make a run similar to like the Raptors. But, you know, nonetheless, they ended up being just uh, obviously a, a dynasty of the ages. Yeah, no doubt. So, all right, let's, let's run our list back real quick. Tyler, why don't you go one through ten, then Jacob will go, and then I'll close it out. All right, I win uh, Braun, Curry, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kyrie Irving, Dame Lillard, Luka Doncic, Chris Paul, Ben Simmons, and John Wall. All right, so I had uh, LeBron at one, Curry, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard, Luka Doncic, uh, Kyrie Irving, Chris Paul, Ben Simmons, and last is Kemba Walker. All right, I had one LeBron James, two Steph Curry, three James Harden, four Kyrie Irving, five Damian Lillard, Six, Luka Doncic. Seven, Russell Westbrook. Eight, Chris Paul. Nine, Ben Simmons. Ten, Trey Young. So, you guys got any shout-outs? Oh, well, hold on. That essentially wraps up our rankings of the top ten players at each position in the NBA. So, we essentially have our top 50 players in the NBA right now, boys. Well, I think, you know, the point guard's, there's a lot of those guys that be in the top 50 that are in the top 10, but we've got top 50, uh, some of the best players in the world for sure. Yeah. So, all right. You guys got any shout outs before we get out of here? No, not really, man. Shout out, shout out Michael Jordan, dude. <laughs> yeah. Right honestly, now. shout out to ESPN for releasing that earlier than, uh, the original set date. Okay. All right. Well then I'm shouting out some absolute legends 
tonight. So do you guys remember when Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson had that one-on-one golf match for like a couple million bucks or whatever? Yeah. You remember that, Tyler? Yeah, they kind of wanted to pose it like a UFC fight almost. Yeah. So like a boxing match. Yeah, just like a prime one-on-one heavyweight bout, basically. So we have another one of those in the works with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. So a golf match has been put together for those two, and it's going to benefit coronavirus relief, but they're going to be paired up with some other all-time greats. The other all-time greats playing with Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods are Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. They're They're calling it the... They're calling it, quote, the match, Champions for Charity. It's planned for May, according to Turner Sports. Tiger and Peyton Manning are paired together. Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady are paired together. And then together the event will air live on TNT, possibly Memorial Day weekend, at an undisclosed location without spectators. Turner Sports said event organizers are working with state and local government and public health officials to ensure that the event follows safety and health protocols. Peyton Manning told the Denver radio station that, quote, there was talks about doing it all along, basically meaning that they've been talking about doing this matchup with Tiger, Peyton, Tom, and Phil for months, I'm assuming, and they were even going to try and do this before the coronavirus pandemic hit the world. So we were getting this regardless, but now they're going to do this, and it's going to benefit a great cause. So, uh, can I take my pick already? Yeah, go for it. Uh, I'm taking Phil and Brady. Interesting. Yeah, I, I just, I just feel, uh, yeah, I feel like like Brady plays golf often, and well, I feel so like does Peyton. I know he they does all, too. But, they all play golf, but I just feel like he's actually pretty damn good at it too. I'm going Tiger and Peyton. Gotta go with Tiger, man. <laughs> but no, so I think I think it's really cool that they're getting these four guys to do this. Yeah, super awesome. So, all right, with that, that wraps up this episode of the Sports Kingdom Show. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you decide to listen to the Sports Kingdom Show so you can stay up to date on the newest episodes of the show. Don't forget to follow at TSK Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow all of us at the Duke of Sports, at Tyler Pacholke, and at Jacob Double underscore Gonzalez. We appreciate you all so much for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode of the TSK Show. Peace.